Hello, and welcome to Can't Make This Shit Up. I'm Cassie, a true crime enthusiast. Now, Mark, her dad, a true crime professional, a retired traffic homicide detective from South Florida. And we hope you guys enjoy. are back once again to tell the story of the Latoya Amons exorcism. Okay, so I was thinking about this in between recordings. Spell their last name. Is it A-M-O-N? No, it is A-M-M-O-N-S, Amons. Okay, and the only reason I ask is because there's a, well, a singer who I've listened to, King Diamond. He's the lead singer for an old band called Merciful Fate. He had a, you know, he's a, unfortunately he's um, into the like dark art, satanic type of, which I'm not into, but I just like his music. But he wrote a, an album, one of his albums called Them, was about this house called Amon, A-M-O-N. Oh, that's interesting. Which was possessed. So I was curious if. It was inspired by this? Well, no, the, the, the album came out before this happened. But okay. It just, as you kept saying, the Amon fa- Amon's family, I was like, hmm, pretty close. It's, it you know, is, a- yeah. You know, I just thought it was kind of, not coincidental, just, I don't know, ironic or... Weird. I was thinking about that. Weird, yeah, so... Well, we last left off where LaToya had sought counsel from her doctor. Some demonic shit happened. They flipped up onto the walls, the ceilings. At the hospital, the nurse, what was his name? He said... Willie. Got to get out. Willie had to get out. Last we left off, Rosa, the grandmother, had taken the oldest two children. The friend's house or relative's house, To right? a relative's home. And meanwhile, Latoya is still in the hospital with her youngest son, who's the seven-year-old. And he's hospitalized because of injuries or just because of the crazy shit that happened? I think the crazy shit that happened. They were trying okay. to figure out what the fuck's going on. May I make sure it wasn't like some type of brain issue yeah or something or blood okay yeah so the following day after latoya's youngest son was admitted to the hospital it was actually his eighth birthday wow okay which he unfortunately was forced to spend in the hospital yeah well don't act like a demon well if he's really possessed he ain't got no choice well i know but i'm just i'm just throwing that out there you want to you don't want to spend your eighth birthday in the hospital well i think the demon was being evil i know i'm just I'm just joshing. I'm just joshing, yeah. (laughs) So sadly, the day would not get any better for the family. Valerie, and remember Valerie is the DCS worker, who's the manager of their case. So she asked that LaToya have her two older children brought back to the hospital to undergo further interviews. However, when the children arrived, LaToya was informed that DCS was taking emergency custody of all three of her children. As they were all determined to, quote, be experiencing spiritual and emotional distress. Okay, but what, caused by the mother? So we'll get into it okay. as we go on. But first of all, I don't think DCS handled this well, which, shocker. Shocker, I was going to say shocking. But I also think it's interesting because all of this information comes from their actual reports along with police reports. Right. So it's interesting because there is a lot of inconsistencies in their reports. Because Valerie believes that they're possessed, but I think the higher-ups 
right. don't necessarily believe that. So she has to act in accordance to what, you know, she's directed. Were the DCS reports, were they authored by different people or are all of them that you found authored only by Valerie? Um, there's different reports, which we'll, we'll, you'll see why. You'll see why there's different people. Gotcha. Okay. So Latoya and her children cried and held each other as the children were taken away. The children all screamed that they did not want to leave their mother. So way to traumatize them even more. Which is always the case, but... Latoya recalled to the Indie Star, quote, We'd already been through so much and fought so hard for our lives. It was obvious we were a team and we were beating it, whatever we were fighting. We made it through together as a team and they separated us. Then, on April 20th, 2012, the hospital chaplain met with Latoya's nine-year-old son and was immediately convinced that the young boy was indeed possessed by an evil spirit and was in need of an exorcism. As he was unable to perform one himself, he contacted Reverend Michael Maginot, who was a priest at St. Stephen Martyr Parish in Merrillville, Indiana. The Reverend, upon receiving the call, was skeptical, but agreed to meet with the family a few days later after Sunday's Mass. On April 22, 2012, Reverend Michael met with Latoya and her mother Rosa at their home on Carolina Street. During a four-hour-long meeting, Latoya and Rosa recounted everything that had occurred to them inside of and outside of the home. However, in the midst of this interview, Reverend Michael took notice of a flickering light in the bathroom. Latoya and Rosa informed him that it was the demon. Each time Reverend Michael walked over to investigate the light, the flickering mysteriously stopped. At this point, Reverend Michael was convinced that a demonic presence was residing within the home. He believed the flickering was a sign that the demon was scared of his holy presence within the house. Also, while in the home, the Reverend witnessed blinds moving of their own volition and inexplicable footprints forming along the floor, although no person was making them. So he's seeing all this ghost activity. Gotcha, okay. As these events grew in intensity, Latoya complained to the Reverend of a headache. Reverend Michael placed a crucifix upon her head, and Latoya began violently convulsing. Following their meeting, the Reverend told Latoya and Rosa that he believed there were demons and also ghosts residing within the home. He prayed over the house and sprinkled holy water in each room before informing Latoya and Rosa that they had to leave the home for their own protection. Rosa and Latoya agreed to stay with a relative temporarily. But unfortunately, less than a week later, Latoya and Rosa were forced to return to the home so that DCS could conduct a check of the house. Valerie arrived with a Lake County police officer, as well as two other officers, one from Gary Police Department and another from nearby Hammond Police Department. While only one officer was required at checks of this nature, the officer from Gary and the officer from Hammond had heard about the case and were so curious to see the supposedly haunted house that they asked to come along. So something you would have never done. You'd be like, I ain't going in there. Well, if, not if it was a, a Santero related, but other than that, yeah, I would have gone. But for us, it would like where I used to work, our jurisdiction was ours. And only if we were requested to assist somebody, well, if we were requested, we would go help other agencies, but because we were the sheriff, other agencies couldn't like come in into like our, you know, handle our stuff. So, right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that they just, you know, heard about it through the grapevine and were like, we want to see this shit. Can we come along? Cause that shit's curious as hell. You know, I was going to ask you 
now that we've had this incident at the hospital and multiple witnesses, can we not tell the landlord, hey, break the lease? Like, I don't know how quickly they contacted him or at what point they did. I know right. eventually they get out of it. So Okay, good. All right. Okay. So when the police and Valerie, the DCS worker, arrived at the house, LaToya and Rosa met them there, but LaToya refused to enter the house. But Rosa agreed to accompany the officers and Valerie inside. Rosa brought them down into the basement, where the officer's report noted the altar which was still erected and salt which LaToya had poured along the walls in an effort to keep the demons at bay. Right. Officers and Valerie noticed that the concrete directly under the basement stairs was broken, and it was simply dirt underneath it. So odd. There, the whole, and you see it. You see it in the documentary if you watch the Zach Baggins one. Right. It is interesting because the entire basement is all concrete, but then all under the stairs, it's just dirt. Rosa informed them that they believed the demon's favorite location seemed to be under the basement stairs where this dirt patch was. Officer Austin, so he's one of the police officers that tagged along from the Gary Police Department. He said prior to entering the house, he did not believe in demons, but he did believe ghosts existed. However, after visiting the Carolina Street home, his mind was changed forever. Okay. While in the home, and all of this is noted in the police report, right. one of the officer's radios began malfunctioning. The light continued to flash, indicating that the batteries were dead, but the officer insisted that he had just replaced the battery that morning. Okay. Another officer audio recorded the tour of the home, so he had like a handheld tape recorder. And when they returned to the station and played back the recording, a disembodied voice could be heard saying, hey, into the microphone. The third officer took photos of the home, and in one photo of the basement stairs, a cloudy white mist could be seen in the upper right-hand corner. Investigators would later enlarge the image, and it was evident that the mist revealed a menacing face once the photo was enlarged. Additionally, once the image was enlarged, another being could be seen. This time, it was a green mist that took the shape of a woman. Officer Austin also took several photos of the home on his iPhone, and all of those photos also contained many strange mists and silhouettes throughout the home. Also after leaving the home, the radio within Officer Austin's police cruiser, so he had left, you know, to go back on duty. Right. The radio within his police cruiser mysteriously malfunctioned. He was sitting in a dark gas station parking lot when suddenly his radio turned to static. As he tried to repair it, he suddenly heard a menacing voice whisper through the radio, who's in there, before the radio inexplicably began functioning normally again. Additionally, after arriving to his own home later that evening, further strange events seemed to occur. Officer Austin's garage door continuously malfunctioned and was opening and closing on its own. So something attached themselves to him. Uh, yeah. Oh. Strangely, the seat in his personal vehicle seemed to move forward and backwards of its own accord. So he would get in to just, you know, go somewhere and it would be either too far forward or too far back, kept moving on its own. Gotcha. Officer Austin was convinced that LaToya was telling the truth. However, the mental health professionals evaluating LaToya and her family were not as easily convinced. In April of 2012, DCS petitioned the juvenile court to grant DCS temporary custody of all three children, and their motion was granted. 
In their motion, DCS alleged that LaToya had not sent her children to school regularly. LaToya explained that it had become difficult to send her children to school because, quote, the spirits would make them sick or they would be up all night without sleep. Unfortunately, following this ruling, the children were separated. LaToya's 12-year-old daughter and 9-year-old son were placed in a children's home in Chicago, and LaToya's 8-year-old son was sent to a Christian home in Wheatfield to receive psychiatric care. Wow. A clinical psychiatrist named Stacy Wright was assigned to evaluate LaToya's youngest son. In her report, she alleged that she did not believe that the boy was possessed. Instead, she claimed the boy used possession as a way to avoid things he did not want to do. In her report, she stated he only exhibited signs of possession when he was challenged in any way or when he was asked questions he was reluctant to answer. She also wrote that he was coherent and logical until she brought up spirits or demons. When she attempted to discuss demons with the boy, he would break off into illogical and fragmented mutterings. She also claimed that whenever she brought up past experiences of his possessions, the boy's story changed repeatedly. In her diagnosis, Dr. Wright wrote, quote, This appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been induced into a delusional system perpetuated by his mother and potentially reinforced by other relatives. Okay. Another clinical psychologist, Joel Schwartz, evaluated LaToya's older two children, and in his report, he came to the same conclusions. When he interviewed LaToya's daughter, she claimed that she had been possessed at least twice and often saw shadowy figures around the house. LaToya's son told the doctor that, quote, doors would slam and stuff started moving around. Of LaToya's daughter, Dr. Schwartz wrote, quote, there also appears to be a need to assess the extent to which she may have been unduly influenced by her mother's concerns that the family was exposed to paranormal experiences. So basically, both these doctors are saying that the mom's delusional and she's convinced the kids that there's an issue that's not really there. Right, she's pushing upon them. But I want to know, how do they explain the kids flipping up onto the ceilings and shit? <laughs> yeah, that's where it gets a little, uh, you know. Dicey. LaToya was also directed to speak to several different psychologists. One psychiatrist claimed that LaToya was not, quote, experiencing symptoms of psychosis or thought disorders. So basically, she's not psychotic. She's not delusional. Okay. However, another psychologist stated that LaToya should be assessed to, quote, determine whether her religiosity may be masking underlying delusional ideations or perceptual disturbances. So she's so religious that her religion could be causing or right. or hiding these delusional. Okay. Despite these reports, LaToya and all three of her children continued to insist that they were possessed by demons. LaToya's children's claims did not change even when they'd been separated from their mother for some time. That was my next question when they were all in these different child homes and stuff like that. With, I mean, I know the one the one psychiatrist or whatever that was out evaluating the eight-year-old said that he only only used that to like avoid things that he didn't like or whatever. But I was curious, were there any episodes documented, you know, during that time that they were all separated? No, there was no, you know, as far as like flipping onto the ceilings or stuff like that. Right. I think there was still, you know, the like the episodes of growling and and voice like voices and stuff and yeah that sort of stuff but the physical stuff not so much right 
DCS issued a plan in order to facilitate a reconciliation between Latoya and her children. The first step of the plan directed that the children, quote, not discuss demons and being possessed, and that they also, quote, take responsibility for their actions. They also were required to stay in therapy. DCS did acknowledge that Latoya had a, quote, close bond with her children, but they believed the children were not possessed. Instead, they believed their attacks on others was a discipline issue, which Latoya had failed to address. DCS directed Latoya to exercise, quote, alternate forms of discipline not directly related to religion and demon possession. They went on to outline the other forms of discipline Latoya should utilize, such as encouragement, laying out clear rules and expectations, and withholding privileges when the children did not obey. She was instructed to demonstrate her ability to follow these guidelines during her supervised visitation with the children each week. Strangely, although DCS refused to believe that the children or LaToya was possessed, within their written plan, they directed LaToya to find a better job and appropriate housing, and I quote, due to the paranormal activity at the home. Oh, wait a second. So for half the report, they're saying, oh, this is all fake. You need to avoid this possession bullshit, blah, blah, blah. But then they're like, you need to leave the home you're in because that house is too paranormally active for you to live there safely with the kids. That's that's called covering their bases. So it's like, which one's true? It's fucking, they're hypocrites. Fucking. Either it's all in their head or it's not. Right. So it can't be both ways. Unreal. Okay. I'm not shocked by that, though. I will have to say I'm not shocked by the hypocrisy experienced in, in the bureaucracy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, of organized um, governmental help. Yeah. I just thought it was so funny because reading the report, it's like, oh, well, this is clearly on your head. Um, so you just need to, you know, learn how to really discipline your kids better and yeah. stop talking about all this demon shit. And then it's like, but also you need to save up some more money and get out of that house because it's far too haunted for you to be living it's like there. like telling a drug addict, you don't have a drug problem, but don't do drugs. Like, stay away from drugs. Yeah. Okay. It makes no sense. Stupid. However, while Latoya struggled to meet all of the expectations of DCS's plan, police and DCS continued to investigate the supernatural activity at the home. So that's the other thing I find interesting. Okay, oh, they're why? saying they're saying it doesn't exist, but then why are you investigating it then if mm-hmm. if it, there's nothing there? Mm-hmm. On May 10th, 2012, Rosa Latoya, Officer Austin and the two other original officers returned to the house. The police officers were off-duty and volunteered their time to further the paranormal investigation. The same three that responded the first time? All right. Yeah. All right. This time, they were also joined by Reverend Michael, two additional Lake County officers who brought along a police dog, and the DCS family case manager, Samantha Illick. So Samantha had offered to come in Valerie's place because Valerie refused to enter the house any further. Okay. So they don't believe that any of this is real, but I ain't going in that house, though. Unreal. See, they fucking just contradict themselves left and right. Like One officer escorted the police dog around the house, but the dog did not alert to any part of the house. I'm sorry, what type of dog was it? What was It, a... it didn't say. Okay. I'm not positive. Meanwhile, the rest of the group headed back to the basement. This time, DCS manager Samantha noticed a strange liquid dripping from the walls. 
She reached out to touch it and claimed it felt slippery and sticky. I would never. Nope. Nope. I don't know why. What possessed her to touch that shit? I'd be like, I am not doing that. Like at least rubber gloved on or no? Or... No, she just Die. reached out with her bare hands. Just raw dog that bad boy? Good Lord. Samantha, you're a brave girl. No, I wouldn't say that's brave. Brave to me? I would never. Uh, okay. Reverend Michael decided to search the dirt under the stairs. Mm. He wondered if someone had placed some sort of curse on the house by burying some sort of cursed object or a pentagram there. Okay. According to the Lake County Police report of the visit, Reverend Michael informed the officers that a pentagram could mean that a portal to hell existed within the house. Right. First of all, that shit's bullshit. Pentagrams are not evil. If you actually do the research of what the symbolism behind pentagrams is, they're a pagan symbol. Pagan symbols, right. Correct. Not a demonic one. You're correct about that. That was a false notion that was spread by the Catholic Church because they wanted to stomp out paganism, so they tried to make everything look like it was of the devil. The reverend also believed it might be possible that someone had been murdered in the home and buried underneath the stairs, which he claimed might also account for the paranormal activity present within the home. Which was why I was asking they should have, they brought a cadaver dog to see if there was any, you know, signs of, of any types of remains or, you know. Which it could have possibly been a cadaver dog, but I don't, who knows? Yeah, but the dog, if that, let's say, I'm just talking out of turn here, but if, if it was a cadaver dog, then and he didn't hit on anything in the house, and why are you going to start digging? If, if you're saying looking for a body, you know what I'm saying? Because cadaver right. dogs are going to hit on it a lot quicker than you digging in a pile of dirt. You know what I'm saying? Like, Well, they did find some weird shit in this dirt. Well, yeah, but it wasn't no body. No. Okay. At Reverend Michael's instruction, one of the officers dug a four-by-three-foot hole beneath the stairs. Incredibly, there were many items found within the hole. They uncovered a pink press-on nail, a political shirt pin, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, which that's fucking weird, a white pair of panties, various candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object. Investigators believed the object was most likely a weight used to weight down drapery. Okay. So, I mean, that's odd. That is very weird. Yeah. After extracting these items, the officer simply covered up the hole again. Then, Reverend Michael blessed some salt and poured it under the stairs and around the basement. Later, when the group was discussing their findings in the living room, Samantha, who's the DCS case manager, she claimed she felt a sharp pain in her pinky finger, and when she examined it, it began to tingle and appeared to whiten. She later recalled that it felt as if her finger had broken suddenly. Moments later, Samantha began to feel as if she couldn't breathe. She rushed from the home and refused to enter it again. Do DCF workers down. Yeah. Meanwhile, Reverend Michael began questioning LaToya about the home. Suddenly, LaToya complained of a migraine which gradually moved down to her shoulders. At that point, she too ran outside of the home and refused to enter it again. Once it began to get dark, Officer Austin also left the home as he claimed he refused to stay in the house past dark. <laughs> I don't blame him. I'd be like, listen, it's getting dark. I gotta go. But they said that these people are not experiencing any of this stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's <laughs> all in their heads. The rest of the officers continued to investigate the home. As they walked through the main floor of the house, they noted in the report that there was a strange substance dripping along the walls of the house. 
However, they were unable to ascertain its origin. One officer suggested that perhaps Latoya had placed oil upon the walls to make her story appear more believable. In order to test this theory, officers used a paper towel to clean off the substance in one of the bedrooms. They then shut the door and exited the room and guarded the entrance for 25 minutes to ensure no one could enter. Following that time, they re-entered the room, and lo and behold, the oil was back. Okay, so was it, like, the document, was it coming from the ceiling? Was it starting in the middle of the wall? It was um, around the windows, mostly. Okay. Condensation? They said it was like a thick, oily substance, is, is how it was described. Right. And I guess they didn't take a sample and have it tested or anything. I'm, I assume not, because no. I doubt they're going to put the money into that. You know what I'm saying? Well, right. I mean, but let's see. Those are the things that I'd be like, what's what we need to do? Like, yeah, we need to find answers. But Reverend Michael told the officers that the oil was evidence of a demonic presence taking over the home. Following this additional visit, Reverend Michael wrote up a report, which he submitted to his superior, Bishop Dale Melk. Okay, Dale Melksick. A lot of hard names in this one. Melksick. Melksick. M e l c z e k. Oh, common spelling. Melksick. Common spelling. So he wrote up this report and he right. submitted it to his superior, Bishop Dale Melksick. Requesting permission to perform an exorcism on Latoya. This request was unheard of as the bishop had never authorized an exorcism in his 21 years as a bishop. At first, the bishop denied Reverend Michael's request and instructed him to first reach out to other reverends who'd performed exorcisms in the past to guarantee that he knew what he was doing. Okay. So this part, you're going to LOL. Oh, boy. However, when the reverend did this and reached out to the other reverends who had performed exorcisms, they instructed him uh-huh. to simply look up exorcism instructions on the internet. They were like, just Google it, my man. <laughs> Google has taken over the world. They were like, oh, just, just Google exorcism. See what comes up. Hold on. These are priests. These are priests. <laughs> and we are talking about the Catholic religion, right? Yes, yeah. That there isn't one text or manual, or book, or something written within the Catholic diocese that... I have to believe that there is, but I feel like it's one of those things that not everybody gets access to. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I understand that, but if... They just Google it. They just Google it. They use the googly machine. They get on there, and they they type in exorcism and see what comes up. Okay, but I'm sure whoever the, pardon my language, knucklehead that typed in the exorcist directions into Google... Well, they watched The Exorcist numerous times, and they followed those uh, instructions. Oh. That's my guess. Uh, I see. So basically, you just start screaming, the power of Christ compels you, and throw holy water, and... I hope for the best. See what happens. Hope for the best. In the meantime, he did a, quote, intense blessing on the home, attempting to rid it of its evil presence. Not a regular blessing. Not a regular one. An intense one. Okay. An intense one. I didn't know there was different degrees. But oh, all right. Well, apparently we're about to find out there are also different degrees of exorcisms. Who knew? Finally, after consulting the internet, Reverend Michael performed what is known as a minor exorcism on Latoya. As this type of exorcism does not require church approval because it's only a minor one. Oh, okay. The ritual consists of only prayers and demands for the demon to leave its host. 
Two of the police officers and the DCS case manager, Samantha, attended this minor exorcism. So the DCS workers are attending these exorcisms, but according to them, it's it's all in Latoya's head. Yeah, their report, it's like a... No. Following this, Samantha was convinced that some sort of paranormal activity was in fact going on within the home. So now this other DCS case manager is like, okay, I, I'm, I'm on board too. There's some weird shit going on here. Well, okay. Following this ritual, Samantha claimed that she'd experienced an inexplicable string of bad luck that she believes was caused by the evil presence within the home. A week after this minor exorcism, Mm-hmm. She brushed against a running motorcycle and got third-degree burns. Within the next three weeks, she also broke three ribs while jet skiing, broke her hand after hitting a table, and then tripped while running in flip-flops and snapped her ankle. Broke her ankle. Okay. All within three weeks. Okay. That ain't good. It's not, but okay. That's all I can say is okay. She's either extremely clumsy. That's what I was Or she know. got a daemon. Maybe she got a daemon. I don't know, but. Samantha told the Indie Star, quote, I had friends who wouldn't talk to me because they believed something had attached itself to me. When her friends would tell her this, she would jokingly respond, quote, I'm already evil. They try to find something that's not evil and corrupt it. They wouldn't waste their time on me. <laughs> okay. I feel like Samantha's a good time. Yeah, God bless her. Following the minor exorcism, Reverend Michael encouraged LaToya to research demon names. He claimed that if a larger exorcism were allowed by the church, he could use the demons' names to fight them off. LaToya and a friend tried to research the names on her friend's desktop computer, but strangely, she claimed the computer kept shutting off unexpectedly. She also claimed that throughout the research, she continued to feel nauseous and lightheaded. However, she fought through her discomfort and searched for demons which seemed to fit the events that had occurred in the home. She settled on Beelzebub, the demon of flies, mm-hmm. and a few other demons who were known to focus their torturous attention on children. Finally, the bishop gave Reverend Michael permission to perform a full-on exorcism, which the Catholic Church does not grant those easily. By this time, LaToya and her mother had moved to Indianapolis, but they agreed to return for the ritual. He explained to LaToya that the ritual was similar to that of the minor exorcism, but it was believed to be more powerful as it was performed within the church and had the full backing of the Catholic Church. In June 2012, LaToya arrived to Reverend Michael's church, where he performed three separate exorcisms on LaToya two in English, and a final one in Latin. Two of the original police officers also attended, offering to restrain LaToya if needed. During the exorcisms, Reverend Michael prayed to God to protect LaToya. He also condemned the demons living inside of her. Finally, he pressed a crucifix to LaToya's head and stated, I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all your fell companions, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout all of this, LaToya shook and convulsed. Later, LaToya claimed the exorcisms were painful. She claimed she felt the demon inside of her struggling to hold on to her soul. She said the pain was different, but just as intense as giving birth. I've done that, and damn, that shit hurts. She recalled, quote, I was hurting all over from the inside out. I'm trying to do my best and be strong. 
Finally, after many hours, Latoya would fall into a deep sleep between each exorcism. Reverend Michael claimed that this deep sleep was the demons trying to basically regain their strength. Following the exorcisms, Reverend Michael drove to Indianapolis and also blessed Latoya's new home for added protection against these evil spirits. Reverend Michael also directed a woman who worked with him, so she somehow was affiliated with the church. Okay. He instructed her to write one of the demons' names down in an envelope and fill it with blessed salt. If Latoya were to have any further symptoms while back in Indianapolis, she was to call this woman and the woman was to burn the envelope in the church fire. In the weeks following the exorcism, Latoya continued to experience nightmares. She called the woman and the woman burned the envelope. She saved the ashes and then reburned them further in a church bonfire. At this point, Latoya claims all of her nightmares and all of her possessions came to an end. Eventually, in November of 2012, Latoya regained custody of her three children. DCS continued to check on the children for three months until their case was officially closed in February of 2012. On getting her children back, Latoya recalled, quote, It was just awesome. I hadn't been that happy in God knows how long. She also warned others, stating, quote, When you hear something like this, don't assume it's not real, because I lived it. I know it's real. The house on Carolina Street eventually got new tenants, who didn't complain of any paranormal activity, according to the landlord, Charles Reed. He claimed that no tenants before or after LaToya ever claimed to experience anything paranormal. He originally claimed that he did not believe the home to be haunted, but following the Catholic Church's involvement, he said he was, quote, less skeptical. However, after this haunting incident, the home became the center of local curiosity. Police officers drove by so frequently to get a look at the home that Charles Reed, the home's owner, eventually had to call the police department and request that no other officers drive by gawking at the house as it was scaring the new tenants. We do do that. We, that's something cops do. I'm going to tell you so right now. So all the cops are just like, yo, let's go look at the crazy demon house. Safest neighborhood in the town. <laughs> in 2014, Zach Baggins purchased the house for $35,000. He filmed a documentary called Demon House in the Home and then demolished it in January of 2016. However, he saved the basement staircase from the home, and it now resides in his museum in Las Vegas. So do you remember seeing it? I do not. I know we were there, but I'm sure I'm sure I did see it. I, just I don't remember, remember it. Okay. Me, him, and my sister went to go to um his museum in Las Vegas, which is actually worth the visit, I think. It's pr- it's a pretty cool museum. Yeah, it is. But I texted Amanda, my sister, and I was like, Do you have any pictures of the staircase from when we were there? And she said, No, I she don't. Didn't. And I was I was like, damn. Oh. But yeah, we've seen the staircase. Okay. I know. We, I saw a bunch of stuff there. I just don't re- recall everything. So I'm sure it was there and I saw it. It probably has a dirt under yeah, it. I think it I remember. Dirt. Yeah, it has a Yeah. You remember okay. it? Vaguely remember it. Yeah. So both LaToya and Rosa refused to participate in Zach Baggins' documentary. They feared that their participation may put them in danger of being possessed once again. So I think that's pretty telling, too, because if they were just kind of after money or whatever, they would have done it. But they were like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Additionally, Netflix has just signed on to create a movie based on this story. Hmm. 
So keep an eye out for that, everyone. Okay, well, since you bring that up, a couple couple things I want to bring. And again, I'm not like saying that this is not true. It didn't happen because, you know, certainly documented enough that, you know, enough stuff occurred and enough people saw it or whatever. However, the, uh, when I was, how old was I? I don't know, seven, eight, when the Amityville Horror yep. first came out. The original Amityville Horror. I've seen it. Which back then was touted as being tr- a true, you know, true story that the, uh, the son killed the whole family and that the house became possessed. Michael DeFeo killed his mom, his dad, in, with a shotgun, and all his Oh, siblings. I thought it was the dad. I've seen the movie, but it's been no, a while. No, no. It's the son, Michael DeFeo. I think Michael DeFeo is his name, I think. He killed his parents and I think three or four siblings, I think. So they made this whole movie, and if, if you remember, it was focused around the basement. The basement was where the demons was. There was... Um, I forget if there was a dirt pile, but there was something, there was a room or a wall that was eventually yeah, broken. Yeah, there was like a, a little hidden room okay. or whatever. Right. Then there was flies. Yep. Remember there was the, the scene with the flies. As you were telling us this story, my thoughts went directly to to that. And only in not, in not minimizing that or, or saying that this didn't happen, but it's funny that one of two things. Uh, Amityville Horror turned out to be false, right? It turned out to be right. a hoax. But maybe historically in possessions that are true, there's, you know, there's a room somewhere in the house, the flies, you know, those are all things. I know Beelzebub is the, the demon of yeah. flies, so all that kind of ties together. But I just thought it was kind of, I don't want to say funny, but coincidental that you're telling this story happened in 2011 or 2012. Well, yeah, it started in 2011 and, and went on to 2012. So 11, yeah. So it was just funny that the same occurrences were in this movie depicted that was made in the 70s of an incident that supposedly occurred you know early 70s or whatever so the other thing i wanted to say was about religion and that we were kind of laughing at like the minor exorcism and i believe religion is everyone's own belief and and that's their own so when i laugh at those things it's just the publicized or the um how do i say this properly um the commercialized part of religion Right. Is laughable to me because there's more times than not that you find falseness in it or errors in it as where the church is supposed to help its people and, and be a good thing. So, well, you know, I'm not putting it down and I don't want people to think that when I laugh at it, I'm making fun of it. I just find it, you know, ironic that you would think that when I brought up there's no rules or there's no book of, of exorcism. Well, I'm like, sorry. No matter what your belief is, I think we can all laugh at the fact that they he was told to Google it. Come on. Like, that shit's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's. it's it's and and if I was like you know if I was a devout Catholic I would, would probably be upset by that, you know like they went to the this is a a reverend seeking assistance from other priests or other reverends and they're like no oh, just Google it yeah I mean I mean come on like you know it's got to be a little bit better than you know we're talking about the Catholic Church like you know that shit comes from all the way from Rome and the history with the Pope and the Crusades and you know yeah well like you said you you would think that they'd have you know, at least some, because they've performed exorcisms in the past. You would think that they would be some sort of, you know, guide right. or I don't know, rule right. system. Right. So I just, when I laugh at it, I'm not laughing at the, the church per se. It's just, it's just, you have to laugh at shit that, that occurs in everything in police work and in religion. It's just like. Well, and a lot of times if you don't laugh, you cry. You know what I mean? Well, that's true. So. You know, regardless of whether they were really possessed or, or were not, we'll never know. But I will say that I do believe that they 100 like i don't think 
I don't think it was a hoax on their end. I think they 100% no. believed they were possessed. Oh, for sure. And I, I would like to know, I would like to figure out an, ex I mean, I couldn't do it, but um, the kid throwing himself against the wall and, the, and, you know, on the ceiling, which again was in The Exorcist. Right. You know, in the original Exorcist where she, you know, went up, you know, flew up, levitated from the bed and was on the, that part of it, I would like to have an explanation for, which there probably never will be other than there is some type of force, whether it's demonic or, or whatever that does have, you know, it does manifest itself or, you know, has power within our realm, you know, at certain times. So. Yeah, I definitely believe in that shit. I believe that there are spirits. I believe that there's a lot we don't understand. Yeah. There's a lot out there that we don't comprehend and Absolutely. we may never comprehend. Like the whole oil on the wall thing. Yeah. Like what happened to it? Like, did it, does it just disappear on its own? Did somebody have to go in and clean the walls before the next tenant came? You know, like there's a lot of questions that I would want answered, but that's just how my brain works. Like, well, and like you had a good point to test that shit, see what it comes back as. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't probably want to spend the money, but I don't know. I'd probably try to foot the bill. Yeah. Just to see like what the hell. Yeah. You know, like. Maybe it is only oil or maybe it's, you know, some type of just condensation, weird condensation from the building materials because you said it only occurred more or less around the windows. Like, who knows? Right. But fuck, let's find out. Like, you just like, oh, yeah, I saw it. I wiped it. And then it came back. Oh, we'll just leave it alone. No. Yeah. Like, my brain doesn't work that way. Like, I want to know. Like, I, you know, but the house is gone now, so we'll never yeah, know. Yeah, which, he, you know, he said he destroyed it because it's the evil. He wanted it like, yeah, you know. Right. Well, we do have a question. Well, I just want to say before we, that was, because there were so many witnesses and so many and documented reports, not that reports are, you know, can't be fabricated or, or you know, all doctored or whatever, but the fact that you had the three different police officers from different agencies, you had the nurse, you know, you had shit that happened in the hospital, you know, that just kind of furthers the possibility yet that yes, there's, you know, something out there. I personally think for sure that there was something paranormal going on in this case in particular. Oh, for sure. There's too many people yeah. who witnessed too many things, like you said, across multiple different agencies. They all can't be making it up, you know? Right. So So our question is from Chrissy. So hi Chrissy. Hey Chrissy. This is a question for you. She says, Mark, what's one thing that you learned after all your years of police work that you can't not do anymore? Anything that has become second nature at this point? Everybody is a liar. Oh, that's kind of <laughs> depressing, but okay. No. Um, tell me the question again. So what's one thing that you learned while being a police officer? Basically, kind of like a hack that you... Oh, okay. That you've ingrained into your everyday life now... Oh, there's a lot. I, if I'm driving, I never drive in, like if it's a multi-lane roadway, I never drive in the right lane or the, the, the lane closest to where people can turn out in front oh. of you because like they, they don't stop at stop signs. Oh, I should do that. There's a certain way that I'm, I always walk with people just for my training because how I'm going to react if something bad happens, I need the people I care about to one side of me so I can do things. That, it's just a training thing. Mm. Um, what else? I don't sit with my back to the wall in a restaurant, but I always face the register and like the door. Yeah. Because if there's a robbery or something like that's, and everybody knows that cops sit against the wall, so I don't do that. 
So I think those things like that are right at the top of my head are the most things. Uh, the biggest thing is driving in that right lane because more accidents occur when people fail to stop at a stop sign or if they run a red light or whatever. Um, so I always try to avoid, I mean, naturally, if you need to make a right turn or something or. Right. You have to go over there. But if it's like a long distance, like I'll, like even in states where you're not allowed to drive in the left lane, if it's a two lane road, I drive in the left lane. I got pulled over in Texas one time because I was, you know, driving in the left lane. You're not supposed to unless you're only passing. And I told the officer, you know, like, I'm sorry, but, you know, I explained it to him. He's like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, that would be the biggest thing. And count to three when your light goes from red to green. Just give it three seconds because you never know that person that's running the red. Oh, my gosh. That's such a good idea. I'm going to start doing all these things now. Yeah. Just even just wait. Just turns green. Look left. Look right. You don't have to wait three seconds. Just look left. Look right. Make sure nobody's because, you know, the person when it turns yellow. Yeah, they think they can make it or whatever. Well, you're supposed to slow them. The law says you're supposed to slow and prepare to stop. It seems that everybody everybody takes it the opposite. It says, I need to speed up so I can beat the red. Right. Which is the opposite. So, And one lady, very nice older lady, one time ran a red light and I stopped her and I said, you know, ma'am, I pulled you over because you ran a red light. And she said, it was goldenrod, honey. <laughs> And apparently it wasn't even yellow or amber. It was goldenrod. I'm going to start saying that forever now. It was goldenrod, honey. It was goldenrod. Man, she seems like she'd be a good time. She got off with a warning because that was the first time and last time I ever heard that. So I was like, ma'am, just drive safely. You're like, sure, sure. Chrissy, I hope that answers your question. And uh, I think that was some good tips, actually. So, yeah, I learned a thing or two about a thing or two. Seven years in traffic homicide, well, 27 years in law enforcement and crashes and stuff, that's the majority of where shit's going to happen. And just those couple simple tricks, I think, will you know help a lot of people stay out of accidents. Because it's not necessarily the person driving, it's the other person you have to worry. Like, we always say that. To sum it up, don't drive in the right lane if you can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. When you see the golden rod, slow down and don't try to beat the, beat the red. Slow down and stop. And when you're stopped at a red. And when you're stopped at a red. And it turns to green. And it turns to green. Look left, look right, and then proceed forward. Or count to three, one or the other, but yeah. All right. Just make sure the intersection's clear and there's nobody, you know, barreling down. Well, Chrissy, I hope that answered your question. And I hope you all enjoyed perhaps our wildest case that we've covered so far. That was some crazy shit, I will say. That's some, you can't make this shit up. I'm glad I never experienced that, I guess, while I worked. Although it probably would have been, I don't want to say fun, but it would definitely would have been an interesting call or case to, to handle. So Hey, never say never. You never know when you're going to meet the paranormal. That's true. So if you will give us a review, that would be really great. Yes, we would definitely appreciate it. On whatever platform you're listening on, it's really helpful. And we love you. And we hope you love us. And it would just be nice. But yeah, so until next week, try to avoid the diamonds. Yes, avoid diamonds at all costs. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with another story next week. So until then, bye. Bye.
I'll fox with a ghost, but I ain't gonna see no diamonds. Me and the ghost will have a little dance party. Ghosts are this shit. Unless they're cranky and then I don't want to see them. It's just nonsense.